How about now? Woo, that's a little louder. Verse 14, Ephesians chapter 4. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building of itself in love. So we're looking at this morning that together we grow stronger. And as a way of introduction, there's a picture going to come up on the screen. And this is something new I learned. This is a picture of the world's largest organism. Now, scientists will disagree how do you measure that and how you conclude that. But many consider this to be the largest organism in the world. It's located on the southwest bank of Fish Lake in Utah. It is called Pando, P-A-N-D-O. It's made up of 47,000 aspen, aspen trees covering over 100 acres. Now, looking at it, this is kind of a up looking down, almost like an aerial shot of it. It looks like individual trees, doesn't it? But what you cannot see below the surface, these trees all share the same root system. And in fact, when they open the trees up, they share the same genetic code. So although they look individual, they all feed off that one root system. That gives us, I believe, a picture of what the local church is like. Individual parts growing and maturing, but all tied by the same, I mean, the same root. In our case, it would be Jesus Christ. And so far in this series, together we explore the concepts that together we find peace, together we experience love, and today we're going to explore the truth that together we grow stronger. Just like those early believers at the church of Ephesus, we are committed to journeying together, supporting and encouraging each other, and walking together to discover our greater purpose and calling of God in our lives. Now, Jesus brought us peace and love, and this is where we look at how we take those principles, those teachings, those gifts, and how do we live those out in our lives. Now, if you looked at verse 14, did it, did it grab you just a little different that it started as a result? Like, maybe I should have went up a little further in the text to get that, because he's making a causal statement or a reference to something that's happening, going on. So, in context, let us go back to verse 11. If you look in your text, verse 11 starts out by, He gave some as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now, the emphasis here is not on individuals. The emphasis is, is these are gifts to His church. If you look back in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it emphasizes the view of the church as one single coherent organism. But many different parts, all functioning for one cause and one motion, one movement. And that's to further the work of the kingdom. 
The point here is that we need individuals who are coming together, each one uniquely gifted and talented, working together for the cause of Christ. All right? That doesn't mean we all have to do the same thing. Not all of you will be a speaker or a preacher. But remember, unity is not uniformity. We're all working. We all share that same root, and that root is Jesus Christ. But he has gifted you, and Shelly's going to walk out here in a moment. There's a spiritual gift inventory. If you've never taken one, we have some limited copies this morning. It will be available on our website as well, under the sermon page. This is a man-made thing, but it asks you simple questions about, I have the ability to organize ideas, resources, time, and people effectively. And you list them one through five if you strongly agree or disagree. And then you add those up and it kind of gives you a snapshot of your unique gifts. Now I cannot stress this enough. Everybody in this room has a gift or gifts. And it takes all of us working together with that gift that you have to further the work of cause of Christ. And my job as a pastor, look at the next causal statement is. In the next verse, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, the process by which all believers reach their proper goal. These receiving gifts are to engage in the work of service. Now, service is also ministry. So one of my jobs as your pastor is to help you identify what gifts that God has given you for you to develop that gift and to plug that gift in in service here at the local body. That's what I should be doing as your pastor. Rather than restricting this to a specific activity or activities, it's really given us a disposition how we should view these gifts given by Christ. And they are best displayed when we're using them to build a kingdom in service rather than exaggeration. I got the gift of this, I get to that. Well, that's wonderful. Now put it into practice. It takes all of us working Together, He goes on to say, to the building up or edifying the body of Christ. That word edify or building up, if you can imagine a fireplace and the billows and your poker. Why do you poke the logs and why do you blow when you see smoke and those coals are hot and they're red? Why do you do that? You want to stoke up the fire. That's what we need to be doing as believers, growing stronger together. As we grow as individuals in our walk with God, we come together and we grow together, thereby Together, we grow even more. All right? Do you follow the logic here? And to grow into a mature or perfect man, it says, that's our ultimate goal in Christ. I want to be more like Christ. I hope I'm more like Christ today than I was yesterday. I hope I'm more like Christ now than I was this morning when I got up. And that's true for individuals, but also as a church. We want to reflect Christ. As a body, to be people living by faith, known by love, that we're more Christ-like today than we were yesterday. And that takes us to our text. As a result, then, of all that growing and maturing, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves. In other words, leave the instability inconsistently regarding faith and knowledge. Avoid human cunning, trickery, or erroneous scheming. In other words, look out for those constant hazards and temptations that threaten our progress to grow in Christ. As we grow and mature, that helps us to know and gives us the, the, the gift of discernment so we can hear something that's heresy and say, wait a second, that's not what Scripture says. 
I've said this before, but bears repeating today. Heresy is not something solely outrageous. You'll go, I know that's wrong. Heresy really takes root when you take one bit of Scripture and you twist it just enough. And we don't know any better because we're not growing in our faith. We're not spending time. See, you're not going to grow in your faith if all you do is come here on Sunday morning that's it. To truly grow as a Christian, you need to be spending time in God's Word by yourself. If you're married with your spouse, you need to spend that time alone with God outside this time together. Because if I'm not doing that as a pastor, if I'm, if I'm relying on my sermon prep from my personal time, I'm going to impede the growth of this body because I'm not doing my part. You follow? It takes all of us growing in our faith. Constantly, and you never get to the point where you can sit down and go, whoo, I know it all. If we could do that, then God wouldn't be God no more, because one thing about being God is just more to discover, more to learn. We'll never stop learning more about our Creator. Speaking the truth and love, we are to grow up in all suspects into Him. Who's Him? Christ the Head. Now think of this illustration for a moment. You ever gone to the mountains and you see the headwaters of a mighty river? Think of the Mississippi. You ever been across the Mississippi River? How big it is? Maybe the Colorado or even the Rio Grande places. That river started off somewhere up in the mountains. The snow melted and little drops of water started to fall. And those drops became trickles. And those trickles become streams. Those streams become channels. So powerful enough, they could carve out something like the Grand Canyon that the Colorado River did. How did that start? Just by individual drops coming together. See, individually, just a plain old drop of water by themselves can't do much. But when they pull together and they come together and work, they become a, a real force of nature. I learned that serving in the Navy you know, it don't look that bad. You get out there in the mighty ocean, the ocean can throw you around like you're nothing. Because they've all come together. And together, as believers, coming together is more about strength for moving forward, not safety. doesn't matter your personality type, if you're introverted or extroverted. We are created for relationships. Different people using unique talents, as I said earlier, to connect and serve. See, simply counting more heads and filling the pews is not the goal here. It's about the strength that numbers bring. More people means what? More influence, more creativity, more ability, more skill, more compassion, more love, more support, and more impact that we can make in the world around us. Their strength in numbers is the point. Jesus says, well, one or two are gathered in my name. There I am also. And we can see how God uses individuals throughout human history. But man, when the people of God get on fire, things really start to happen. The first and second great awakenings all started with maybe one or two individuals and it blew like wildfire. See, part of the problem is our church is not on fire because we're made up of people who are not on fire. The Holy Spirit has been quenched, and we're trying to light our pilot lights, and it easily goes out because we haven't let the Holy Spirit have his way in us as of yet. 
You ever notice when someone's on fire, they just don't stand there and go, help me, I'm on fire. There's a movement. See, by ourselves. I didn't ask her to do this. Kill all the lights. Bear with me. You'll still be able to see in here. It won't be totally dark. Even the... Yeah, kill the exit lights there on the side too. You only have these spots now shining on me. And you know what's not about me, so let me get down here. Limited to what they show, right? Go ahead and kill those. Up there, just hit the red button. Don't worry about it if you can't. Don't worry about it, Shelly. They're limited to what they can do. Now, turn on the exit lights. You got more light. Turn on the fluorescence. More light. Now turn on the, the middle and the back house lights. There you go. That's my illustration right there. Those spots were good, right? They were showing something. But as more lights got involved, it really lit up the space. There are strength in numbers. Now, I'm not telling you, it's not just fill the church for the sake of filling the church. So it's, it's to make disciples. People using their gifts to build the body of Christ, and there's strength in that. We're all on fire making one common goal, and that is Christ and to build his kingdom. So together we do grow stronger. It's together we find that support and encouragement that we need. Ecclesiastes talks about this in chapter 4, verse 9 and following. You'll hear this at wedding ceremonies, but it does apply here as well. Two are better than one because of the good return for their labor. For either of them falls, the other will lift his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there's not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And if one can overpower him who's alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. If I fall and I don't have my brothers to pick me up, what good is that? You see, when you, when you fall, if I fall and I'm struggling, then Dial over here can come over and say, come on, Tim, let me help you up. Come on, let's go. And we, and we pray about it. And that's the reason why you see in James it says confessing your sins to one another. It's not that you get up and air all your dirty laundry out. It's about how you approach it. Like Corey may come to me, hey, Tim, I know what's going on in your life. You shouldn't be doing that. But you know what? I care about you. I love you. Let's go to God in prayer about it. And by the way, I need some prayer in this area of my life. But know what holds us back? We're so afraid of getting hurt. So afraid of our secrets getting out. But the one person we care the most about should be God. And guess what? God knows all those dirty secrets anyway, and he still loves you. He still wants that. He's the one who created you. But like I said last week, if we would just let our guard down and together spend more time. This morning, did you see it this morning? At coffee and donut time? Did you see what was happening? fellowship not that we're having a deep theological discussion about something but we're enjoying each other's company we're building each other up encouraging one another because as you get to know other each other then you start to lay burdens at each other's hey can you pray for this can you pray for that and there's strength in that 
and strengthen that. He talks about this again. He says, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. We are not two or just a few. We are instructed to act like one. We're not instructed to be kind of united. We are instructed to be one according to the proper working of each individual part. And the body is a perfect metaphor for that. Our human bodies are amazingly complex. Imagine for a moment that the eye decided, hey, I don't want to see, and they left. What would you do for sight? Or if your ears thought they not want to hear no more, if you if your leg don't want to walk anymore, your feet or your toe, your big toe. It's hard to walk without your big toe. You ever tried? hope I never have to do that, by the way. My point being is each part of the human body has a unique function. When it's functioning properly, the body works great. But when you take one of those away, guess what happens? There's difficulty. And some of you in this room know exactly what I'm talking about. You've had surgery. I know my wife had a C-section for all our kids, and they made that decision. She goes, I forgot how much I use my stomach muscles. Don't make me laugh because it hurts. We don't realize how much we use until it's taken away. And that's the point here. It all takes us. So we're, we're holding something back. Then we're not only hurting ourselves and hindering our growth in Christ, we are hindering the body as well. Sometimes... Our independent spirits get the best of us. We're all told to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We don't want to belong to other people. We want to do our own thing. But belonging is survival. And the Bible is full of other metaphors for the same concept of being one. In John 15, Jesus talks about he is the vine and we are the branches. And apart from him, we can do nothing. Ephesians 5 and 2 Corinthians 11 talk about the church is the bride of Christ. We, as the church, are told to be one. Together, we can be a place of refuge, not a place of judgment. A place where honesty with our weaknesses come out. A place of great service and kingdom work. A place of rest, worship, and healing. Being together, we become stronger. That's the reason why we should not just listen to podcasts or sermons. That's the reason why we should not just worship on our own and sing worship songs in the shower out in the woods. These things are not wrong. They're good. But they're no replacement. Because we need to be together physically, mentally, and emotionally and regularly if we're going to grow stronger. The Christian life was never meant to be led in isolation is the point. It's here that you will grow stronger. It's here that I will grow stronger. And it's here that the body will grow stronger. You want to be stronger in your Christian life? Okay, maybe nobody does. I I know you do. To do that, I need to have certain practices in my life as an individual. Devotional time, prayer time. Times I read the Bible just to hear his word. But to really grow, I need my brothers to help hold me accountable. Uh-oh. Not to shame me, but to love me and to help me grow to become more like Christ. Why do you think we have women's ministry 
in men's ministry and children's ministry is to get people. Even our Sunday schools kind of broken up into age groups. Why is that? You want to get people that have gone down the same road for a little bit of time. They have those common experiences. Why does it talk about the older ones mentoring the younger ones? I'm not talking about physical age. I'm talking about spiritual maturity. Because you can tell the younger ones, hey, let me tell you what happened when I went through that. Many of you have told me when you, when you dealt with a death of a loved one, recently Tammy's daddy passed away, many of you came to me and encouraged me and supported me because you've been down that road. And you told me how God helps you. And, and it gave me strength. But if I was just to walk off and pout on my own, it wouldn't do me any good. So there's strength there. Now, before we conclude, there's one thing we must mention about growth. I mean, do you really want to see the church grow is my first question. And I think collectively we would say yes. It's not by numbers, but maturity. But growth requires, listen to me, change. Now, it can be difficult. It can be hard. But usually change goes hand in hand with growth. Here's an interesting article I came across. Neuroscience, thinking about your brain, used to think that thoughts shaped actions. If you could just change the way you think, it would change your actions. What they found out, though, actions shape more of your thinking than they once thought. In other words, if you keep doing a thing over and over again, it helps shape your thinking more than just thinking about it. You follow? So we get in a bad habit. We do something that we shouldn't be doing. We do those actions over and over again. It can cause the way we think. Because normally, if I'm involved in something, let's just say I'm doing something and the Holy Spirit starts to convict me, I will start reasoning in my mind the action which I'm engaged in. Well, wait a second. Does the Bible really say that? I can do this. I'm free in Christ. Why, Why should I have to worry about what other people say or do? And we start trying to justify our actions as the point. And even neuroscience has come out and said, if you change the action, you will also change your thinking. So it's not just good to think about it and agree about it. We have to put it in action. To use a sports analogy, a football, what does, the, what does the, each team do before they go to the line of scrimmage? They have this thing called a huddle. And they call a play. And everybody on that team has to know what they do for that play. Even the linemen have to move about. Everybody has an assignment, the receivers. Everybody has an assignment for that play to work. And they've been working on this play all week long based on what they saw the other team do. Okay, we need to do this, line up this person. The coaches are looking at who's lined up against who. Well, they have the best chance. And they sit there, hold it, they call it, and they clap, and they walk up to the line of scrimmage. See, they can talk all they want and practice all they want. It doesn't mean anything until they walk up to that line of scrimmage where the other team is daring them to pull off what they just talked about and did all week long. Now, bear with me. Every analogy breaks down. But every church, we have our huddle. That's what we're having right now. We're talking about God's will for our lives, what he wants from us, the vision of the church. All these things come together. We, we talk about it. And you may, you may like your quarterback, which in this case would be me, or you may not talk about the hey, Tim needs work. It doesn't matter. You may hear something in the service that challenges you. You say, yes, I'm going to do that. But it doesn't mean anything until you walk out those doors and put it into action. And to put it in action, you're going to need the support of the rest of the team. Because I tell you right now, the devil is saying, hey, that's great, Tim. Just preach a good, feel-good sermon. Get those little applause and pats on the back. 
But be careful what you say. If you go across the line, then I will attack. And let me tell you, the enemy will attack you with any and everything he has and usually attack you where you think you're the safest. He is powerful, more powerful than you and I, but I serve one that's sovereign over him. I'm more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. If we want to see growth, we have to choose obedience despite the thoughts and the feelings that may come. Sometimes God wants us to do stuff, and our mind doesn't make much sense. There's a biblical example of this. Back, the children of Israel come out of Egypt. All right, and you see the pillar of fire, and they cross the Red Sea, and they, Moses goes up and gets the, the law from God, and he comes back down. And of all people, Aaron's down there helping build a golden calf to worship. Aaron, what are you thinking? They made me do it, he says. They have problems there. They go and they send out spies to the promised land. They spies come back and say, hey, there's no way you could do it. They're much bigger. Their forces are much bigger. Joshua and Caleb said, yes, they're right. But if God says we can do it, we can do it. That whole generation of unbelievers dies off in the 40 days of wilderness. You ever feel like you're in the wilderness watching around? That 40 years passes. Moses is, is, passes away and Joshua takes the leadership. <clears throat> And so here you are, a young man, been hearing the story all your life, and now the time has come. We're going to take the promised land. I mean, I'm ready to go. I'm a young war, man. I'm ready to prove myself. And Joshua comes back with a battle plan. Ready for this? We're going to go out and watch around Jericho one time, not say we're going to come back. Do what? You want me to go out there and march around the city, not say a word, and come back? What kind of plan is that? You can't tell me someone thought that. But they end up being faithful. And the last time they marched around seven times, will the trumpets and the walls fall down? But my point is being sometimes God wants us to do stuff from, from our standpoint. That, that's crazy. I can't do that. You know, you're right. You can't. But with God, all things are possible. All things are possible. Oswald Chambers, the 20th century evangelist and teacher, in his famous, famous devotional, my utmost for his highest, says this, quote, As soon as we abandon ourselves to God and do the task he's placed closest to us, he begins to fill our lives with surprises. Instead of making excuses, we simply say, here I am. Use me any way you see fit. That's when you see God move. And that's individual and also as a church. We grow stronger by trusting God and doing the next thing. Putting one foot in front of the other. Trusting God will bring about meaningful growth and lasting change in our lives, in our church, and in the world. Growth is usually, is usually slow. It's a process. And it can be hard to see when you're right in the middle of things. And I pray as a church we will commit to the habits that bring change and at the same time the Holy Spirit will give us the courage and the power to change. We can't muster up the ability to grow. We must rely on His power and strength. And we can be confident that God will finish the work that He started in us as individual believers and as a church. Philippians 1.6 For I'm confident of this very thing that He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. 
He's not looking for the best. He's not looking for the brightest or the most good looking. My goodness gracious, look at me. But he's looking for people who believe and stand up and say, yes, I will follow. That's really the easy part. But all those things start coming against you because when you step out there and say, God, use me, the enemy is also going to start striking you too with doubt, with fear. And he'll use everything he can to discourage you. But he who has called you is faithful. The church will never be a perfect place. It will never be a perfect group of people. Because it's made up of imperfect people. It's made up of sinners. We acknowledge this. We accept it. But we don't use it as an excuse or settle for habits or practices that we know that fall short of God's best for us. If you're looking for the perfect church, you're never going to find it. We're all imperfect, right? All sinners. You serve at this church. This is the level of commitment you must have. I must have. Did God call me to Forest Rick Baptist Church? Yes, he did. Is God going to sustain me through this? Yes, he will. Is he going to be faithful to that? Yes, he will. The question becomes, is Tim going to be faithful with it? That means I have to serve when there's everything in the world telling me, get out of there. When crisis comes, people start to argue, we have growing pains, all this stuff starts happening. Am I going to settle in that calling that he given me? So we have to be so committed to God that no matter what happens... We're going to serve God through that local body. That's what you did when you joined this church. You you said, God, this is where I'm going to serve you, through this body. Regardless of who the pastor is, please don't follow me. And I mean that sincerely. Don't follow me. Follow him. No matter what happens, you're going to be faithful here. That's what it means. Knowing that together we grow stronger. Some of you have been here for a long, long time. And you're strong now, right? The ties that you share with each other are tight. They're strong. Why? Because you guys have been through some battles together. Hard times. Grows us together. But also moving forward. Grows us as well. I don't know what God's laying on your heart this morning. I know he's always calling us in a deeper relationship with him. Perhaps that's what he's doing now. Perhaps you've never given your life to Christ. Do it now. Perhaps he's calling you to join us here as a local body with your unique gifts and talents to help us take the gospel to Forsberg, Montana County, the state of Texas, United States of America, and around the world. Just one more thing. This past Wednesday, we had 50 kids in this church. 50? You want to change the world? Grab a hold of those kids. God is bringing us, bringing them to us. And as it was pointed out in our prayer time together, Jesus instructs us, pray for the Lord of the harvest. Behold, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Well, Tim, I don't know what to say. 
What have I told you ever since day one? He doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. What is God calling you to? Would you stand with me, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this body known as Forestburg Baptist Church. We thank you so much for your son, his sacrifice upon that cross for our salvation of our souls. Father, I thank you for the ones gathered here. Father, I pray that in the coming moments, the coming hours, days, weeks, months, and years, that they will continue to grow in their relationship with you. That, Father, they will discover that gift that you've given them and that they will use it to build your kingdom. Father, impress upon them that everyone in this room you have gifted with unique talent and the ability. Continue to grow your people here. Let them know the deep love that you have for them. And Father, remind them that you promise to be with them every step of the way. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. For your namesake, for your glory, draw men and women and boys and girls unto yourself. In Christ Jesus we pray. Oh, no, that's all right. Hang on, Coach. The lady over there with the daughter in the blue that she just sat down with a burgundy top on. Um, you can't see her now. Her daughter's in front of her. Okay.